0: Good to see you all today. It's really happening. Two short weeks away from Christmas Eve. So, are you feeling it? You feel it? Yeah? The thing is, like, man, Christmas is, is so joyful. It's so fun. But it's like, especially for the introverts out there, like my wife, it's like, oh man, An- oh, another party. Thank you, I'm so happy. <laughs> uh, it's, really, it's really fun, but I, 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 you're probably feeling it. I'm feeling it. Um, it, it, it can be a lot. Um, so yeah, like, like I was saying before, like, I'm just praying that we can enjoy Jesus in the middle of this time. Uh, we're we're launching a Christ- Christmas series. Uh, Tony asked me when, when it came in what I was teaching on, and I, I, thought, I thought, oh, I'm, hell. I'm gonna no, no, it's, it's Christmas. It's Christmas. It's pretty, you know what we're talking about today. We're like, I've already, I already like kind of was in the gray zone last week, and we continued on talking about Malachi. People were like, oh, we're not going to do Christmas. Oh, do you hate Christmas, Pastor Trey? You know, it's December. Shouldn't we be talking about Christmas? But here we are, three weeks of Christmas. You guys get three sermons on Christmas, um, and we're starting... Uh, this series called Hope is Born, um, and you might have guessed, it is reflecting on Jesus' uh, Jesus's birth and, and what it means, you know, because that's what Christmas is about. It's about Jesus coming uh, and being born into the world, God coming and being uh, born into the world. And honestly, we get used to Christmas, like we know what it's about, and we all expect it every single year. But if we think about it, what we're doing here, what we're celebrating as Christians, it is a little bit strange. It's a little bit strange. The Christmas story is, is strange, not, not in a really negative way, but at least it's surprising. It's surprising because the foundational point for Christian faith is, is Jesus' birth. It's that he came, that we can celebrate his, de- his life, his death, his resurrection on the cross. It begins, it is incepted at the point of his birth. And his birth is surprising because usually, it's, it's, it's surprising because of what it all means. And it's amazing that the focal point of Christmas is his birth. Because usually when we assess a person's importance, a historical figure's importance... We look at their, the life that they lived, not the, the birth that they had. Right? I, th- I think this is interesting. Don't get me wrong. Babies are cute, but never before has a baby won the Nobel Prize. Not yet. <laughs> never before has a baby been a great leader while still a baby. That's the important part, while still a baby. Never before has a baby written a great novel while still a baby. And that's not a knock against babies. I love babies. They're, they're great. They're wonderful people. Um, but the thing about babies is we expect very little of them. <laughs> we expect them to be slackers, you know, and we should. No one looked at Abraham Lincoln or Julius Caesar and thought, that is a really accomplished baby. They've done a lot already. We should celebrate them. Let's have a holiday celebrating the fact that they are a baby. So it's interesting that every year we celebrate Jesus' birth because we, we we only we don't uh, only get excited about all all the, all this uh baby stuff that Jesus is going to do we get excited about like what his birth means we don't we're not we're not when we when we look at, at Jesus's birth and celebrate it every single year we're not looking at his life, his death, his resurrection, we, we focus on all that stuff the rest of the year, right? We have holidays devoted to the, those sorts of things. But here at Christmas, we just marvel at the fact that Jesus was born and that it means something. It is a remarkable thing. See, right at the moment of Jesus' birth, before he's done anything, he is just a baby, helpless, lying in the manger. And in that moment, he is a marvel. Even before Jesus went on to do anything, shepherds come, angels proclaim, this little child is born, and it means so much right here, right now. John explains what's been accomplished uh, at Jesus' birth, the prologue blog of John. John says this, he says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father full of grace and truth indeed we've all received grace upon grace from his fullness for the law was given through moses grace and truth came through jesus christ no one has ever seen god the one and only son who is himself god and is at the father's side he has revealed him right at the moment of his birth jesus is the word become flesh god himself dwelling among us revealing all the character of god that is just in himself right at the outset jesus is remarkable from his birth he is remarkable because jesus is yes the word made flesh the eternally existing god who created the world who spoke it into existence he's born into the world and 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 for some, for some reason, this God who's always been above creation, overseeing it, outside of it, transcendent in every respect, he has suddenly decided to enter into the world that he created. And not, as Christians figured out early on when they rejected Christological heresies, not as some kind of projection or an avatar, some like... like, uh, like um, hologram but it's actually god come into the world he hasn't come into the world to just right to just kind of test it out i'll just come i'll see maybe i'll like it maybe i'll stay right jesus is being born into the world he isn't doing it provisionally he isn't going to say, well, if it feels good, and if they really welcome me, then I'll stick around. But otherwise, I, I, I'm out of here. He's come into the world, and in being born into the world, God is committing himself to being a part of it, and committing himself to love it, love the world, and to love us. He's come down for a purpose. And it's it's required commitment. See, Jesus' birth into the world, it's, it's an act of commitment. Paul describes what Jesus has done in Philippians 2. He says this, Jesus, who, existed, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The point is that at Jesus' birth, at the moment that he came into the world, his coming into the world, it was amazing. Because he's not come in like a guest. Going to stay a little while. Not really, really into it. He's not come like like somebody who, once once things get difficult or become unpleasant, I'm just going to move on. Jesus was born into the world, fully God, yet fully man fully able to exercise his power, but having willingly just like emptied himself, fully deserving of all praise and all honor, and yet having come in utter humility and in utter commitment to just being a part of this world, revealing God in the midst of it, even to the point of death. That's real commitment. He's committed to being here whatever comes. The question is, why? Why? What's he, what's he up to in coming in this way, in, in, in being born into this world, in committing himself to it in such a way, putting himself in the midst of it, subjecting himself to all the wickedness of people? And Satan, in the middle of it, who are gonna, subjecting himself even to death. Why all of this? Couldn't God have stayed in heaven And spoken to us from there, couldn't God have exercised his his omnipotent power and more effectively accomplished whatever he was trying to bring about from the safety of heaven, from from the comfort of heaven? What is clear in the biblical story is that at Christmas, we recognize that God has uh, changed his way of engaging in the world something he'd always planned on doing, but it's distinctively different. He's doing something more than just speaking from a distance, intervening in the world through giving instruction and trying to to bring things about. He's really committing himself into the world in a unique way. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 says, Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son." In these last days, in the times that we live in, we have to recognize that God is doing something unique, it's beyond what He was doing before, which is just sending down His, his wisdom through prophets to the people of Israel. He's intervening, and He's coming as a man in the flesh, fully God, fully man, speaking to people, speaking to His people, speaking to us by His Son. Could God have stood at a distance in heaven, spoke from the safety and comfort of heaven? Sure, he could. And in fact, for generations, that's exactly what he had been doing. He was intervening in the world from a distance through the prophets. And and, and that, that was like he was trying to be heard. He was trying to be heard. The message that we hear over and over again in the Old Testament is that God speaks and he wants to be heard. Psalm 90, 90, uh, 95, and we, we looked at this before, this is like, it's just a refrain that we read throughout the Old Testament. It says, For he is our God, and we are his, the people of his pasture, the sheep under his care. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts god has been trying to work with people from a distance to have them hear his word to not have them not harden harden their hearts against him to 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 be to be led by him like like a sheep like a like a shepherd with his sheep but see christmas is momentous because god who has been speaking for generations who really wants to to see his people come back turn to him has finally come now into the world. He is born. And as he is born, hope is born along with him. Things are different now because Jesus has come into the world. God is now a part of this world, subjecting himself to all the pain of it, and that is remarkable. Because the God who has been speaking, calling, sending his word forward into the world since the beginning, that same God has now just come into the world. He's taking the task of having people hear and turn and listen so seriously that he's just coming down and and making himself known. Like a shepherd who sees that his sheep need more of him, he comes down and he speaks all the more. He reveals himself all the more. His word goes out all the more because he's just coming among us. He hasn't come in judgment at least not yet. He hasn't come like in, in a manifestation of power, at least not yet. But he's come in a simple demonstration of grace and truth and kindness and love. And he shows the desire of God to have his people hear him and receive him. He's come like a shepherd to watch over and care for the sheep. He's come like a servant, one who is not above or outside, but committed to the work being done. He's come to serve, to save, to watch over people. See, God has come into the world, and he speaks to us, and in hearing his voice, we have hope. Him coming among us, he is our hope Hearing his voice, in hearing his voice, we can hope, have hope. Hope for the first time, real hope, substantive hope. In John ten, twenty-five through 30, Jesus says this. He says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. I and the Father are one. Hope is born into the world. It's it's hope like we see here. It's, It's hope that looks like love and care. It's hope that speaks and draws us into relationship. It's not dominating or rude or cruel or distant. the hope that we have is that we have a shepherd and we hear his voice he speaks to us we listen we follow him he's here among us and it's a hope of assurance that we can trust ourselves and trust ourselves to his care and that no one's gonna snatch us out of his hands we have a real hope in Christ coming into the world, and that hope is like, like he says here, it's, it's eternal life, which doesn't only mean, in, in, in the sense of, of the Greek word which is used here, doesn't only mean life that doesn't end. It means like real, heavenly, substantive, beautiful life. This beautiful life that is on offer in Jesus Christ is this life of hearing, knowing, and following after, and being assured that we can entrust ourselves to him. That's this thing that's on offer, this, this hope that we could not have before. We now have it substantively. The hope that is born into the world is the manifest, manifestation of the promise that he is the good shepherd who hears us, And that it is possible because he's come into the world and made himself known and lived a perfect life and died as a sacrifice and resurrected again, we can know and be assured that we can entrust ourselves to him and love him, we can commit ourselves to him and to his care. At Christmas, we just see that, man, Jesus has dealt so thoroughly with the problem of our despair and our sin and our pain that he entered into the world and made himself everything that we needed. Tim Keller says this Christmas and the incarnation mean that God went to infinite lengths to make himself one whom we can know personally. Hope is born, and we can know him. We can know Jesus, we can know him personally. And I think, like, like, these are the things that Christians, like, man, we, we like celebrate about. we were like, oh, isn't it so cool? We can know Jesus personally. How cool is that? A personal relationship with God. But I want to stop f- for a second and think about that. I, I'm a little bit of um, a Scrooge, a humbug, if you will. Like, I don't, I don't love Christmas. And there are a bunch of reasons for that, and I've talked about them before. I don't need to talk about them. This. But i don't really i think i don't love the way we tend to celebrate christmas right because um one like like this is a time of reflection and focusing on jesus but we also just make it the most busy time of the year it's exhausting a little bit and i think oftentimes we miss jesus in the middle of that um and i think also what we can do is we can celebrate jesus we can celebrate his birth but then we make it about not really about the central thing. It's easy to celebrate Christmas but miss what it's really about. And miss, really, that there are um, some unexpected gifts in Christmas. Gifts that we might not have anticipated and maybe didn't want and maybe aren't prepared for. Because the reality is, if God has come into the world and taken on flesh and made himself personally knowable to me... That's actually pretty disorienting. It's, it's a little bit, it, it kind of messes with my plans, you know? Because I was just going to do gifts and just go about my life and we're going to have some hot cocoa. And that was Christmas. But you're telling me that what we're celebrating here is the fact that God who created everything and created me and is everything has just suddenly shown up into the world and he's knowable? That's disorienting. And it's disruptive. Honestly, it's a little disruptive <laughs> of my life. In, in, in a way that someone coming into my house and moving in would be a little disruptive, right? I would have to change some plans and make some beds and, and kind of replan the way I go about my life. Jesus' birth into the world and what we celebrate as Christmas is, is, is the fact that our lives are a little bit disruptive and a little bit disoriented. Because if God has, Himself has come into the earth, like everything's different. The incarnation, the fact that God comes and makes himself personally knowable it's going to get in the way of my busyness and the life that I was busily leading before I knew him. It's going to disrupt my plans and everything that I wanted to do. And if, if his birth is the birth of hope into the world, a birth of like this new fundamental relationship, a way of knowing, hearing God, following after God, well, of course, like that hope coming is going to, dislodge other hopes that I was having. It means all these other things that I live for, my family, my career, um, you know, skiing. <laughs> no, you can still ski. You can, and, have, and you can still have a career, and you can still have families. But it, it means that everything that I make my life about, right? Like I have a project going on. It's Project Self. We all have Project Self. It's kind of inevitable. You are a person. You have to live a life. You have to make money. You have to spend money. You have to plan you have to grieve you have to make make do you have to have relationships right and and the thing is that we can we have this mess of life and lots of things going on and and like some of us decide that we have certain important things going on in life right and so maybe you want to maybe be a a billionaire you know that's that's a project that you've got that's a hope that you might have maybe you want to just like raise great kids that's a project you have It's, it's it's a great hope that you have none of these are necessarily bad right but the thing is if god is coming into the world and saying hey I've got something going on, I have a project, I am hope in the world, and now the hope looks like this, you hear my voice and you follow after me, then suddenly all these other things that I, the hopes that I might have, they just have to find themselves down here under this first hope. It's not that I can't hold on to these things, it's just that I have to put them in their correct position, and that's disorienting. It's disorienting to start to listen to the voice of Jesus and follow after him because it means that I can make my plans, yet I have to subject them to him who is hope and who is God in the world and who has committed himself radically to me. It's a little disorienting to hope in Jesus. It's hard to plan your Christmas party when you're saying, but my first obligation is to hear and follow. It's disorienting. But the good news, and it's a little unexpected as well, it's also reorienting, right? Because, okay, it's not that just Jesus comes and just blows up my life, and and I don't know up from down, and I don't know what's going to happen. He also just makes my life really about him. Like if he's the shepherd, that means he is becoming like the center of my universe in a new kind of way. So I have to get rid of these other hopes, but I also just like can start to develop this hope in him. I can start to, to participate in this hope with him in a new way. Hope can be reorienting. Um, my second favorite theologian, Leslie Newbegin, says this. And this is kind of a long quote. I'm just, I'm just, we're just going to hang in here for a little bit because I think he's making a really awesome point. He says this, The Bible is an interpretation of universal history as the history of the divine enterprise of creating faithful relationships, covenant relationships between God and his creatures, God and the human family, faithful relationships between persons and peoples founded on the covenant faithfulness of God. It has the whole cosmos as as its theme, and it sets the human story within the context of the cosmic story. I know there's a lot of words there. But what he's saying is is, is essentially that what the Bible reveals is that we are being disoriented a little bit. We think our lives are just about us, like that we're the center of the world. But what is revealed in Scripture is actually God is up to this bigger project of creating covenant relationships between him and people. He was doing that in Israel, and he's doing that now in Christ, what the Bible makes clear is that we are a part of something bigger, bigger than our agendas, bigger than the little things that we think are so important. And that's disorienting for, from, for us because it's like we just have to just find ourselves in this story that we didn't know was happening. We didn't know we were really a part of what, what's made clear in the Bible is that we are a part of this story. We are a part of and being called by God in a unique way. We're, we're finding ourselves in relationship with him because he is a God who's revealing himself and making it clear that he desires to do something. He goes on, he says, the Christian faith is the faith that the point of the story has been disclosed. The end has been revealed in the middle. The point of the story is not the triumph of human technology over nature or the cyclical rise and fall of civilizations. There is one human family, and it has one center, Jesus Christ, one history, the history of the making of faithful relationships with its maker. It's disorienting to come in and think, man, there's this God, he's outside of time, and he has plans, and I'm just like a nothing in the middle of that. And to come and reflect on that, like it, a lot of people just don't want to do that. They, they just become atheists or agnostic, and they say, I'm not going to think about anything outside of the world. I'm going to make stuff in the world my, my project, and that's going to be fine. And it would be truly disorienting to consider that there might be a God. And it is disorienting to think that that God actually has come into the world and said, know me, see me, I am all the character of God here for you to witness and experience and I'm gonna like just like be lighting up the world with my love and my grace and I'm gonna be doing things in the middle of it that's such a disorienting thing but then it's reorienting because it shows us that the point of our life is not it's not just like it's it's thrown out of nowhere it's it's not just totally blown up and deconstructed we are called to reconstruct our lives around this person Jesus Christ he's the point of history In him, God is doing this big work of establishing relationships, making himself known, transforming people's characters, giving them life when they had just death to expect. There's this giant story going on in Christmas. It's disorienting and it's reorienting. It shows us that the point of life is in the middle. The point of life is Jesus, to know him. All our hopes are wisely put in him and not in just this other things like these other hopes that we might have little human stories that really aren't coming to anything he is the point of history and he is doing something he's making it so that we can personally know god and develop relationship with him and i a little uncomfortable We'll just, that's fine. It's a little uncomfortable um, because it will dislodge other hopes and it'll give us a new purpose. Um, for God to be, um, what God does is, is he invites us to recenter. Re- Lord, would you just make that TV work and that computer and all that stuff? Um, it doesn't really matter all that much but <laughs> it would be nice so here's like here's the other unexpected gift of christmas unexpected and probably a little inconvenient like it's disorienting it's reorienting but it involves like the fact of the incarnation implies and involves personal commitment on my part like if what we celebrate at, Jesus, uh, at Christmas is the fact that Jesus has come, committed himself into the world, we have to understand this, that to respond to that, to celebrate that, involves meeting his personal commitment to me with a personal commitment to him. Because if Jesus has come and what he enables and, 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 and makes possible is that we would have a personal relationship with God, that we would see God as he is. Like, we have to understand what relationships are for. They're for a mutual knowing, not just some abstract idea. C.S. Lewis, um, you're probably familiar with where, where He, he critiques the, the irrepressible human tendency to want to know about things without really committing ourselves to them or experiencing them, right? This is just a common human problem. C.S. Lewis says this, it is perfectly easy to go on all of your life giving explanations of religion or love or morality, honor and the like, without ever having been inside any of them. And if, if you do that, you're simply playing with counters. You go on explaining things without knowing what it is. That is why a great deal of contemporary thought is, strictly speaking, thought about nothing. All the apparatus of thought busily working in a vacuum. Here's the thing. Jesus comes into the world. God reveals himself as man, fully man, fully God, fully wanting relationship, which just just ruins my life that I was living before, right? But it's also really wonderful because there's a new hope for life now in him, revealed, in that relationship. But the thing about this is, like, knowing this and understanding it cannot be something I do in the abstract. I can't just know about a relationship with Jesus. That serves me nothing. That's not knowing it at all. See, see... There's um, an unexpected gift here at Christmas because to, to know him is going to require something of me. It's going to require turning to him and his personal commitment to me and the world with a personal commitment to him so that I might know him in a really real way. We have an invitation, one that means Something. Like, if we're going to know God, to be a Christian, to commit to Him in faith, to celebrate the Incarnation, to celebrate Christmas, it means that our lives need to be remade and re-centered around hearing from the God who's speaking and obeying the God who's instructing and following after the God who says, come follow me. Because he hasn't come just so that we might have abstract knowledge of who he is. He's come to give us hope. And hope is forged in throwing myself into that thing. I could hope to be a world wrestling champion. But if I never worked out, and I never learned the rules of wrestling, which I don't know. I probably should know that, too. Are there rules of wrestling? I don't know. I think it's all made up. Depends on well, I'm, I, I didn't mean to offend you. Dan, are you okay? Yeah. Dan loves... Uh, yeah. You know, but like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, can, I can call something hope and have it just be undemanding. But anything that I really hope in, I honestly have to understand that it does make demands on me. If I actually want to know God, then I have to understand that, man, well, I just actually need to find myself in this project where where if he's speaking, then I need to start listening. If he cares for me, then I have to understand what that means, that he actually has a plan for me and a purpose for my life. And just to know that he has a purpose for my life is different than experiencing what that purpose might be. Uh, This is it. The thing is, it's a little inconvenient to receive this gift of Jesus coming into the world because it means that I had plans, but now I have to submit myself to his plans. And actually, I really need to commit to this process. That's why Jesus didn't come and he uh, he didn't come into the world and just like do a bunch of impressive things and just say, hey, look, I'm God. Isn't that awesome? What he did is he came into the world, and, he, and he, he expressed a bunch of wisdom, and he taught people, and then he gathered people around him that he called his disciples. That he said, hey, look, follow me. And once you, once you start to follow me, then you're going to start to figure out who I am. And it took them a little while, right? You read the disciples thing there. They're like, well, we know a lot about you. And then they're like, eh, but it sort of seemed like a lot of trial and error going on there. Right? It took them a while to really come to know who Jesus was. And that's the thing, like, if you want to celebrate Christmas, then you have to kind of receive this inconvenient gift, really, which is that it's going to involve some personal commitment on your part. Not because God's so demanding, right? But to come to know someone or something, that's just what we need to do. You need to personally commit to things. Honestly, learning about math takes personal commitment. It really does, because at some point you just have to accept that 2 plus 2 equals 4. Why? Why are numbers numbers? It all just seems so abstract. Why is anything anything? At some point you, you build commitment upon what you, uh, on the base, basic layer, assume to be true. Jesus coming into the world is him revealing that the basic, most fundamental fact of life is I am real and I am knowable in the world. And so if we take that to be true, then everything else comes and follows after that if god is revealing if he's calling us into relationship then to actually know him and to make i don't want to say make use but yeah to actually like step into this reality will involve just me surrendering myself to him it has to or else it just means nothing can i just encourage you guys you know i've gotten some pretty stinker gifts before right You're like, you know how people give you stuff, and you're like, oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm really avoiding saying names, right? Because I don't know my family's going to be watching at some point. Uh, they're going to say, oh, you didn't like that from 17 years ago, did you? Well, I don't know. Um, look, if we have a gift, if we have something that's really good then we, and that we really want, then we start to make use of it. We start to use it. We start to make it a part of our lives jesus has come he's revealed himself personally and he calls us to a personal commitment right back to him you know we've we've talked about it before you've got the sign in the lobby everyday discipleship and here's what's happened with everyday disciples here this is totally predictable right we did this sermon series in the spring everyday disciples and everybody was like yes this is cool we're gonna do this and then like two months later we all sort of forgot about it i get it. i knew this was gonna happen wasn't even disappointed not even disappointed I actually would have been really surprised if we were all just like, yes, let's commit to being everyday disciples and let's really start to get practical in doing and committing ourselves to it. I would have been totally surprised, pleasantly surprised, but I already had a plan that it wasn't going to happen. So I guess I don't have much faith in you. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Um, and then what we do, we do small groups. We focus on, again, a couple little micro series every now and then. And here's the thing. I'm planning on, on doing this again, talking about what it looks like to to, to be an everyday disciple. Again, we're just going to keep doing this. I'm really going to bore you with it until you start to actually do it. Right? Because Because honestly, like, I could be a pastor who just comes up with a new thing every week. And I mean, I... I'm sure I do this. I'm sure I do this in a way that I'm totally ignorant of. <laughs> it's really fun when a person stands up and says, oh, I could do this. And then everybody's like, you actually do that all the time. No one's going to tell you that. All right. I'm sure I do. Um, here's the thing, guys. If we're going to follow Jesus, let's be people who are committed to actually knowing him, which is to say, if he's the God who is shepherd among us, speaking, leading, let's be the sort of people who are listening and following, and being un- understanding that coming coming to church and just um, singing songs is not not only not the end of Christian faith, like as in as in its true goal, but it's not even beginning to get to it. Jesus has committed Himself to us so that we might know Him, and we are invited into true hope, which is to just listen to him and obey him and follow after him. And that means working against our flesh and working against our busyness and our distraction. And of course we have that. That's reality. But the call is to just keep going, to lay hold of, of the good things that he has. I'm not looking at my phone here. Oh, I am. But I'm rooting up a Bible verse, which is allowed, okay? Uh, this is... It is, I checked. checked in the pastor's handbook. Philippians 3, uh, that's not a thing. That's not a thing I made that up. Philippians 3, 10. Paul says this. My goal is to know him and the power of resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Look, if anyone could say they knew about Jesus, it's Paul. Paul knew a lot about Jesus. He is this great teacher in the early church, and yet he says in all of his knowing about that there is something past knowing about that's true knowledge. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection. That's what's on offer at Christmas. God can be personally known. And we can know more about him and see his beauty even more more as, as as we not only just reflect on him, yes, but also just follow him and experience him actually working in the world, speaking to us, comforting us, using us for his purpose, bringing life. Into our lives, bringing hope into our midst. There is so much more on offer at Christmas. It is truly unexpected. But we need to step into it. The worship team's gonna come up here. I think we got a Christmas song, which which is nice. But can I just encourage you guys, as we just like, because this is the first of three, right? That we would start to really consider. What is this hope? What is the hope that I have in Christ? Sure, I can I can trust him and I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Great, wonderful. Can I also understand that what Jesus is doing is he's really just breaking my expectations and recentering them on him? Can I as I, as I come into Christmas and think about that like really let him do that? And understand that if I'm going to know him, I need to surrender to him. I need to go along with the work that he's doing in my life. That's my prayer, is that we would hear from the Lord in the midst of this time, as as a church and as individuals, and that we would just um, be encouraged by him and then do this work of, of commitment, right? Commitment is not... I've just decided. I'm going to do it. Like, the thing about marriage, like, you know, I've got this ring on, and it symbolizes a, a moment, a very particular moment where I committed, right? But I can't, when my wife feels like I'm shirking my responsibilities, they can't say, but I've got this ring. She's going to want to see, are you committed? Are you stepping into what this means beyond just saying that it exists. Not, I don't do that so I can prove myself to her. I do that because there's much more to marriage than just saying you're committed to it. All the fun stuff happens in the real life, the fighting and the making up and the serving and the surrender. Can we step into that this Christmas? Can we open up that rather inconvenient gift? That's my, that's my prayer for us. So, Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for your, what you've done. Lord, thank you for revealing yourself and your character and your goodness. Lord, we want it all. And, Lord, if we say we want it, if we are coming, um, Lord, that, that, that means, it must mean that we are willing to receive it. We're making room in our lives for you. And so, Lord, we don't, um, we do not know all the things we need to do to do that, Lord. But at least there needs to be this: there needs to be a desire to obey. And if we don't have that, we pray you'd give it to us, Lord. We just receive all these things as gifts. Where there needs to be faith, and if we don't have that, Lord, but that's a gift. We we want it from you, Lord. Where there needs to be kind of repentance, Lord, having a new mind. That can understand that there's something better than what I've I've, I've just committed myself to, Lord. We f- we need that gift. We need that gift of repentance, Lord. And Lord, we need your um, your presence, Holy Spirit. We welcome you in our lives. We're doing all the things we can do to prepare to receive you this season, Lord, and make, uh, let's just celebrate what this really means, Lord. Lord, whatever the things are that we need, Lord, would you just give them to us, Lord, out of your abundant grace and mercy and truth, Lord Jesus? We want those things. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. Lord, let us make much of your gift of the hope that you've brought into the world. Amen. Hey, let's stand up and worship the Lord together.